Welcome to this episode of Turdy for Turdy. Make sure to let us know how we're doing. You can either email us at tftpod2018 at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at turdy for turdy. And um, let's, uh, let's stomp this turd out. Stinky. All right, welcome back to Turdy for Turdy tonight, or today, or whenever you listen to it. Maybe it's mid-morning, maybe it's lunchtime, hell, I don't know. But wherever you are right now in your life, it's time for part two of the Dan Snyder story. I almost just made a joke, and then I remembered what month that was. Um, which is also why I paid all my bills early this month because I was a month off and thought, um, there was only 28 days cause I didn't know we were in January still. Oh yeah. It clicked today that this was the last day of January. We're recording this on the 31st in case you were curious. I was panicking. Sure I was like, I was like, my rent's going to be due. It's the 29th. I forgot it was a leap year. And then I was like, Oh wait, I'm a whole month off. And I don't actually think it's a leap year. Wake up, wake up. It's the first of the month. All right, so uh, let's hop into part two of the Dan Snyder saga. Just to catch you up very briefly, we're going to do a very speed run recap. Dan Snyder buys the Redskins in 1999. Uh, Norv Turner's the first coach. Norv Turner gets fired. Marty Schottenheimer gets brought in. And guess what happens to Schottenheimer? Fired. Um, he, oh, I was going to say, he keeps his job and everything goes really well for the Redskins franchise forever and ever and ever. You wish. Actually, I wish. And, I don't wish. And then the last thing that we left off with last week was Steve Spurrier was hired to a five-year contract. You mean the Florida South <laughs> slash South Carolina coaching legend, the visor the himself? ball coach. You mean the old beer coach? Can yeah, we the make old the beer same, coach. Can we make the same jokes like from back to back? Eh, I don't care. People well, know I'm I, not creative. Last week, my joke was last week when I said that he uh, watered the field with beer, and then I remember that was a Les Miles reference to that commercial. And then you made a Dosikis. We've been we've been like advertising Dosikis the last two weeks. Well, they won't listen to it, so they won't sue us. I Actually, they'd probably be okay with the, you know, they like gorilla advertising. They've they've wormed their way into our heads with their great advertising campaign. Well, because they get you, because they show one of the commercials with Les Miles, and then they show one of the commercials with Steve Spurrier. They show like three in a row, and it's just like, what the hell's going on? I don't know. All right, so today's episode starts in two thousand two. That's where we left off. But it's 2019 right now. Are we going in a time machine? Yeah, copy. How do we record? How do we record in 2002 if it's 2019? Uh, do you believe in magic? In a young girl's heart. Yes. We had to add a song in since this is a two-part. You're not doing the, the uh, no, song I am, stuff. I am. I was actually oh, a bit oh. sitting here. I've been sitting here trying to find the all the. Uh, Find the stuff while you sat here and talked, but it didn't really work. Um, this is gonna be like a two-hour, and we're gonna be like, "Man, we didn't, oh, uh, we why. didn't do these right." <laughs> what? 
I've had nominees typed. I was like, why can't I find who actually won? A Beautiful Mind won. Uh, the Russell Crowe movie? Yep. So 2002 Best Picture, Russell Crowe's A Beautiful Mind. That's a good movie. And the top song of 2002. I should have prepared. Uh, the top song. Oh, God. That's a that's a where's that a Beyonce <laughs> we might, song? We might need to just quit quit this episode. According to this uh, the website I always go to for the top 100 songs of the year, the top Billboard song of 2002 was Nickelback's "This Is How You Remind Me." Oh my God! You know what? I like you to say sorry. <laughs> you know what's funny? I mean, I know I'm like probably like every other person. I repeatedly say I hate Nickelback, and then I catch myself 30 seconds into every Nickelback song that, that comes on the radio, like singing and be like, wait, I don't oh, yeah, like no. this. It sounds like I can't understand the words he's saying. He's just growling at me. Unfortunately, I think if you put on this is how you remind me without like the vocals and it was just, just, the, just the music, I could probably still get most of the lyrics. You can, at least, you can at least growl a lot of it, you know. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing Sound with Nickelback. Like, All you gotta do is make s- mouth sounds, and it's like, mad. I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard, I heard, We really have to stop that. People are leaving right now. All right. The, well, even the ones that weren't here yet. There's yeah. like one guy who's a fan of us and also like the biggest fan of Nickelback who's just like I'm done with you guys. Like, it's like it's eyes. like a house party where like you you park outside and you start walking up and you can just see through the window that everybody's having a bad time. So you just run back to your car before anybody sees you and leave. That's what you said. I think that's what you meant when you said uh, they left before they even got here. Or at least that's my definition of that. Man, that actually is the most relatable thing that I think. Um, I've like you're walking done. up to the house and you look in the window and the whole party's singing Nickelback. You're like, you know what? Never mind. I don't need this. Yeah, I I have done that. I've also like texted people I know of places and be like, hey, uh, what's up? And they're like, oh, it sucks. It's like cool. Not uh, like I'm at halfway there. Like I'm gonna go home. <laughs> well, let's actually get back into the show. You're so off track. 2002 uh, was a weird year terrible year except that's for the all i'm gonna say okay. about the movie was good song was weird um ashanti and nelly also had two out of the top five songs in that too so uh that this year did not that year did not hold up well with time yeah music musically wise definitely the case all right so when Spurrier got uh, the head coaching gig he really didn't he really didn't have uh the a quarterback figured out for his team because he came in with the idea that he's going to run his uh was it what do you call it fun and gun fun and gun offense and so he was really picky about what quarterback he wanted running that so instead of keeping somebody that was on the roster uh he went out and found an old friend of his named Danny Werfel now Danny Werfel hadn't had much success in the NFL at all like none, but he was a Heisman winner when Steve Spurrier coached him at Florida. So Steve thought, Hey, it's a perfect match. Danny comes in my old offense in the NFL will be like two peas in a pod. I'm pretty sure that's what he said to him. You know, statistically proven, if you want a Heisman, you're going to be great, you know, in the NFL, especially if you won one as a quarterback, you know, since 2000, 
ish. That was a joke, by the way, because they all do terrible, except for like maybe one. So, uh, he wasn't very uh, loyal to old Danny Boy because by the end of a pre, by the end of the fourth preseason game, he uh, named Shane Matthews another one of his former Gator quarterbacks, the starting quarterback. So he brought in Danny and Shane, two of his best quarterbacks from when he had been at Florida, and uh, kind of had them compete and kept tossing them in back and forth. I actually remember a little bit of that preseason. It was like, here comes Danny, here comes Shane, here comes Danny, here comes Shane. That's Patrick Ramsey. Here comes Danny, here comes Shane. That's how it basically went. He just tossed them back and forth. That actually sounds – that I mean, this immediately before even hearing anything else and also knowing that he didn't last there long because he went back to coach college again, that seems like you're not going to be successful if you just go and hunt down failed, you know, or – college former college quarterbacks you had that aren't actually doing good at that point in the NFL. No, I and I didn't hate the Danny the Danny Werfel one move at all because he actually was good in college and he did have a very good understanding of the offense. I didn't hate bringing him in as like a backup, but to bring him in as the starter it just didn't make sense. It's it's because all that sunlight has just been like beating down on Steve Spurrier's you know scalp since he didn't have the since he's been wearing a visor for years and it just you know melted his brain. Uh, so Matthews got the fir- the the start opening day against uh, Arizona. They actually won the first game of the season, thirty-one to twenty-three, and things were looking up for old Steve Spurrier, the old ball coach. But then in week two and three, the offense only put up 17 points each week. Interesting. That's so, about a hot start, at least, you know. You, you start off hot, then you, you fall apart fast. Yeah, so, I mean, not 17 each week. I'm sorry, 17 for both weeks. So they put it. Let me just read you the scores because I've gotten my head into a pretzel on this. Yeah, they, these pretzels are making me thirsty. These are Snyder's pretzels. So after beating Arizona in week one, in week two, the Eagles uh, came to town and kicked that ass 37-7. to And then in week three, the 40, they went out to play the 49ers and uh, lost 10-20. to So Steve Spurs started out one and two on the season. Okay. See, that really wasn't hard to say, but you, you, fumbled, uh, you fumbled around pretty hard. Uh, sorry, man. I just got confused. Sorry, not sorry. I'm so confused. Uh, so by the fourth game, Danny Warfel was named the starter again. Uh, the team also had uh, somebody I haven't talked about yet, but that was first-round draft pick quarterback Patrick Ramsey sitting on the sideline. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, who in the hell's Patrick Ramsey? And that's that's a fair thing to I'm, say. I'm not going to lie. When you said uh, Patrick Ramsey, all I could think of was um, Nacho Libre. And <laughs> Ramsey is not dancing at the party. <laughs> so let me tell you the story of a little boy growing up in Corpus Christi, Texas with big dreams. Is this it Patrick is when, Ramsey or you? This is me. This is right when Nobody I was like... Corpus has dreams. It's where dreams go to die or were never made. This is right when I really got... like I've, I liked the Redskins for several years before this, but this is when I got like passionate, intensely passionate about it. 
And Patrick Ramsey was that first big, exciting draft pick I can remember. Now, he's not exciting for most people because he was the quarterback from Tulane. But I remember when they drafted him, all of the talk at the draft, and I think this was one of the first drafts I ever watched on TV, too. But all the talk at the draft was how smart this guy was. Because he went he, to two lame. He had University. one of the highest IQs of any quarterback that had ever played. And he was supposed to just be brilliant, but he was kind of a project. But the idea was that with how smart he was, everybody thought he'd be a really fast learner and figure it out. So uh, after the fourth game, which uh, they beat Tennessee 31-14, to People did start asking about Patrick Ramsey because the teams at two and two, your flip flopping quarterbacks, you know, they're not a terrible team, but the quarterback situation made people nervous. So uh, the the media started asking Steve Spur about when when are we going to see Patrick Ramsey? You spend a first round pick on him, you want to see him, and all Spur or whatever say is next year. I mean, to be fair, at that point you're two and two, like. It's not the worst thing in the world. You can recover from that. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with the idea of, like, when are you going to start that rookie? Two and two is not bad, but <laughs> the media in Washington uh, was really pushing for it because that was the first time they had drafted a quarterback in the first round in a long time. So, I mean, the locals were excited. I was excited. The fans were excited. Locals was maybe a weird word to use. I mean, I was kind of excited about it till you said he went to Tulane. Uh, so even though Spurrier said he was going to wait till next season, Ramsey got his chance after uh, Danny went down in the next game. He got hurt with a shoulder injury. Why didn't they? Why didn't they put Shane in? Because uh, they were tired of Shane. I really don't know, but I'm assuming that's what it was. Because after that, you don't see Shane Matthews again for a minute. Uh, so he ended up getting in there. He won his first game. Start and they started the next week against the New Orleans Saints. So Who here that? comes Patrick Ramsey in his first start with the Redskins, future quarterback, and he throws four interceptions. He gets sacked seven times. That's kind of bad because if I remember correctly, I don't think 2002 New Orleans Saints were. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, think they were world beaters. No, I don't. I don't think they. Their defense has been bad for a, a while. So Patrick Ramsey struggled mightily in his first season. But like I said, they assumed he was going to because they said he was a project anyway. Also, I like how his first game he had to play was, uh, you said it was in New Orleans? Yeah. His first game he had to play was in no, the No, I'm dome. sorry. It was in FedEx. Oh. It wasn't oh, okay. in New Orleans. I was gonna say, Thank God I have this schedule pulled up. Yeah. I was going to say, that would have been really funny if this first game they made him play was in New Orleans. On Back then, they, probably st- they still had the AstroTurf, I'm sure. On like so he's basically playing on like concrete and probably getting the sack. That would have been funny if that would have been the case. Yeah, that wouldn't have been uh, good for anybody. I actually have a. I should have worn when we went to that Saints game. I should have busted out one of my like terrible Redskins jerseys I have because in my closet I have a Patrick Ramsey jersey. Wow. Yeah, I know. Not many people can say that. That's about as obscure as you can possibly get. I mean, so, people still wear um, uh, Reggie Bush jerseys to Saints games. Not that many. Yeah, but 
Patrick I'm, Ramsey to Reggie Bush is kind of a big difference. No one I mean, remembers yeah. Patrick Ramsey. I don't. Does Patrick Ramsey remember Patrick Ramsey after probably getting the not after getting him? sacked seven times against the Saints? So after uh, that game, Spur would just start changing out his uh, his quarterbacks like underwear. Like I said, he would go from Ramsey to Shane Matthews to Wolfler, Randy Ramsey to Matthews, Wolfler, Randy Matthews, Wolfler. Like he just kept switching him over and over again. And the team still finished seven and nine. That's kind of impressive. But when did he change um, Danny Warfel's name to Wolfler? I'm sorry. When you try to say Danny's name real quick, it just doesn't come out right because it's it's a re- it's a ridiculously spelled last name. Danny Warfel. Danny Warfel. Danny Warfel. Danny Warfel. Danny Warfel. Danny Warfel. Okay. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I'm, I I I have a good speaking ability. So the Redskins had basically they'd been mediocre for the last couple of years. With Marty, they were eight and eight. With Spurrier, they were seven and nine. So going into two thousand three, for ten years or twelve years or twenty years. <laughs> so going into two thousand three, they were decided they wanted to shake things up a little bit, and this is where the 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 laughing stock or the the joke of the Redskins, the overpaying free agents. This is kind of where that really kicks off. So here's some people that they paid going into this season. This is a two thousand three season. Yes. First guy that they signed was Lavernius Coles, the wide receiver from the Jets. They gave him $10 million guaranteed. That's a lot in uh, 2003. I'm sorry. Actually, he wanted $10 million guaranteed. They gave him $13 million. Um, Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. Why did they give him more money? They want to make sure he signed it in. That's a lot of guaranteed money for a receiver. And 15 years ago. Is that for a season? Uh, No, that was for, I believe, two seasons. That's kind of impressive, though, because guaranteed money contracts are, like, really new. And he actually wasn't a bad player. Like, he wasn't great. Um, But uh, he definitely wasn't wasn't the worst wide receiver you could bring in and he beat the hell out of Joey Galloway. So Is actually really it was anything, a though? it was a 7 year contract worth 35 million and then a signing bonus of 13 million. Okay, that's not too bad. That signing bonus though, dang. That signing bonus is ridiculous. Yeah, no, that uh, that's a lot. So uh Werfel, our friend, was cut leaving Patrick Ramsey and free agent quarterback Rob Johnson as the only two quarterbacks. Ramsey was taking a beating during the previous season, and a local radio show even asked Spurrier how well Rob Johnson knew the offense just in case something were to happen to Ramsey. Spurrier said, Rob Johnson? He doesn't even know which way to turn his head. (laughs) A few days later, Rob Johnson was cut. Wow, that's that's hilarious. That's that's also you know that's a very um, that's funny. That's a very spurrier thing to say. Yeah, the uh, fact he said about his own player. <laughs> After Rob Johnson was cut, the they brought in one of my personal favorite bad quarterbacks from the Redskins era, Tim Hasselbeck. Uh, I forget there's multiple Hasselbacks. So when he signed with the Redskins, he had never thrown an NFL pass. 
Huh, I mean, uh, that's, so, that, you know, that just seems like that could be an optional thing. So he came in. No one expected him to play. Obviously, he had never thrown an inter. Uh, he hadn't thrown a pass in the league, and he also hadn't been with the team for very long. But Ramsey got hurt, and Hasselbeck had to finish out the season. He uh, ended up winning games over Seattle and New York, but lost to the Cowboys in a game that would go on to ruin his career. Essentially, in that Cowboys game, he threw for fifty-six yards and put up a quarterback rating of zero point zero. Wow, that's that's impressive. So he came in, he came in when he came in it was like like a rocket had fired off. We were like there were a bunch of people that were like, "Yeah, we got the other Hasselbeck. We're good. Look how good this guy's doing." And then he threw up that stinker. So he's Matt Hasselbeck's younger brother? Yes. Okay. For some reason I was, I wasn't sure my my time frame's confused and I was trying he's to He's also out. the the more annoying Hasselbeck on ESPN that's always like curmudgeon-y. Why are they? Well, they're both got bad attitudes. Why are they both on TV? I don't know. Uh, before the season finale, Spurrier's asked on his radio show because he had a, he hosted a coach radio show. Uh, what fans can look forward to in two thousand four? He said that he wished he could think of something that would rile up the fan base, but he can't. Wow, this guy! I think he's just asking to get fired. It, it seems like. <laughs> For the rest of the show, he refused to answer questions. Uh, then he went to the season-ending press conference and refused to answer questions. And two days later, he resigned from his position while he was on a golf course. <laughs> so he was playing golf, and he went, you know what? Nah. I mean, I don't think it was just all of a sudden he like hit a hole-in-one and was like, ah, I'm, go- I'm quitting, I'm out of here. I think he was probably just like, I'm gone. And, so, and already knew it, and was just like, "Hey, hey oh, I, I've been forgetting to call. I'm, I, I'm gone. I quit." So after, and remember, this has only been what four years of Spurrier owning the team. Of Spurrier so, owning the team. I mean, Spur Snyder owning the team, and so the fan base was getting pretty fed up because it had been nothing but turmoil since Dan Snyder bought the team, but. And maybe this is one of the very few times that he gave us something to believe in. But for the next season, uh, he hired Joe Gibbs as the head coach. He got him out of retirement and brought Gibbs back. I mean, that's a that's good pandering. I mean, that helps, you know, people come back. The only problem with that is, you know, you have a legendary type coach and you bring them back after them not coaching for a while. Like, how do they do? Well, let's talk about that. So Gibbs, uh, when he came out of retirement, he had been on an 11-year hiatus. Did he own uh, the NASCAR team Yes, at this yes, point? he still owned it. Um, I think he had to give control over to his son, maybe. There was some, he had to, obviously, he had to leave that business for a while. Um, and you have to remember that Joe Gibbs, before he came back that season, the last football game he had ever coached was actually the Super Bowl win in 93. Oh my gosh! Okay, I for some reason I thought he had been gone that long. So he had been gone since '93 from coaching. Yeah, he retired from coaching after they won the Super Bowl with Mark Rippian as the quarterback. Wow, that um, that's very John Gruden esque. Where I think it's going to end up the same way, even though Joe Gibbs is a good coach. Yeah, and he and well, we'll talk about it. I'll I'll, I'll have an opinion on it here at the end. Um, 
they also needed to they wanted to shake up the team a little bit so before the season they traded champ bailey to the broncos for clinton portis um huh i did not know that that was how that 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 I did not know that Bailey was on the Redskins. I know you probably told me because you never shut up about the Redskins, but I didn't realize that was how they got Portis. Yeah, yeah. So they, that was a really – it was kind of a cool trade looking back on it. Now, I don't think it did anybody any favors, but it was kind of a cool trade because it was like superstar for superstar. Champ Bailey was an up-and-coming corner at that time, but he – I mean, you could just watch him and knew he was the real deal. And Portis, of course, had had like two great seasons with the Broncos, so when he went to the Redskins, he was like at the prime of his career. So I honestly – I don't think it affected either of the teams negatively. Clint Portis is kind of one of the newer like Redskins legends. He's still very much loved with the team and with the fans, so I don't think it hurt either team. I, I personally I loved Champ Bailey. He was probably my favorite player on the team at the time. I liked him so much when he got traded to the Broncos. I actually bought a Champ Bailey Broncos jersey, but at the end of the day, it didn't. Uh, it didn't really hurt. That's I can't say. It's, it, you can't joke about that being a bad trade because it worked out for both. No, sides. I mean I like Clinton Portis. I mean yeah, I, like I, Champ I love Bailey Portis too. too. But... So in the first game of the season, Portis ran for sixty-four yards on his first carry as a Redskin. Oh wow. And he would go on to have a solid year, but the team finished 6-10. and 10. He had over 1,000 yards. He was the bright spot on that team, but they still finished 6-10 and 10 so, in Gibbs' first year back. So was there a solution to being like, well, you know, we haven't had a quarterback in like five years, so we're just going to go and like have a really great running back, and that'll fix all of our problems? Honestly, it sounds kind of like a mirror from this year. It's like, well, the quarterback play is terrible, so just give it to Peterson. He'll beat him. I'll beat him like a child. And if he doesn't beat him, we'll just lose. Uh, so the 2005 season uh, started out pretty rough, but uh, at five and six. But Joe Gibbs, I don't know what he sparked in the team, but they went on to win the next five games and clinched a playoff berth. They're the first team to, uh, not the first team to do that, but they're. They're the only team I could think of that was 0-5 in one season, like 10 years or five years before this, and then won five straight in this season too. So really, there's a tradition of winning like five in a row with the Redskins. Hey, what if um, when Gibbs took back over the Redskins, if he had brought in like his crew chief and stuff from his racing team, <laughs> and, and they just had those guys like in the like on the sideline and like change it like just i don't know like a whole team of people coming up to like help someone if they were hurt or like change their shoes out <laughs> hey clinton clint come here i put a microphone in your helmet why cooch because i need you to get a spotter he's going to tell you where everything is on the field all right let's try it out and then that guy's in portis's ears like to your left to your left underneath over top to your left underneath thumb drop <laughs> like that would be hilarious spinning and, in and circles probably- That'd be very Patriots-y. He's just like spinning piss. around in circles, confused <laughs> on where to go because of the spotters <laughs> screaming in his ear. <laughs> I just picture some crazy dude like standing up on like top of the stadium with his big old binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> so with Mark Brunel as quarterback, the Redskins would go on to beat Tampa Bay in the wild card round. But uh, they in in famous like two thousands Redskins tradition, they lost to Seattle in the divisional round. Uh, so then we go into 2006, 2006 starts out with your typical Redskins trouble. 
LeVar Arrington, who was like a Redskins legend at this point, started complaining about the direction of the team and he didn't want to be there anymore and he wanted out, so he bought his way out of his own contract. That's um I don't you don't hear about that very much. People well, buying I, themselves I out think, of their contracts. I think that rule has changed since then. I don't know if you can do that anymore. Because I'm pretty sure if he could do that, there's probably a couple people on the Yeah, Le'Veon Bell, for instance, would have probably just bought his way out. But I don't think he can do that anymore. Uh, They also brought in Al Saunders as the offensive coordinator. Now, Al Saunders was a good coach. He really was. But the problem with him was that on the first day that he showed up at Redskins Park, he brought his playbook with him, and his playbook was 700 pages. Oh. uh... Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, Portis got hurt that year. Defensive back Sean Springs. I don't know if you remember Sean Springs. He was a little older at this time, but he was still a good player. He got hurt. And I haven't known who half the hell the people we've been talking about are. Fair. Uh, And then the reason why that 700-page playbook would be a problem is because Mark Brunel was struggling that year. I mean, he was older, and he just he wasn't doing what he did in 2005. So they ended up uh, benching him for first-round pick uh, Jason Campbell. Didn't Brunel play for like a couple more years after that even? Yeah, yeah, he would be a backup. He was a backup in New Orleans after that, for sure. Yeah, I remember him being a backup there, but I feel like it was... I don't so know. Jason Campbell took over the starting quarterback role. He was from Auburn. He was picked with like the twenty first, somewhere in the twenty to twenty five range. I think twenty first. But God about Jason Campbell that he was a person. Uh, he I didn't really write it in here, but he got the short end of the stick. He really because I think Jason Campbell could have been good, but literally every year he was in Washington, he had to learn a new playbook. Wasn't he the he was that rushing quarterback or like you know scrambling guy, right? I mean, or he was just running for of, his life all the time. He wasn't really a scrambler. Um, he can move, but he wasn't really a scrambler. But yeah, you're you're thinking of the right guy. Um, so Joe Gibbs had his worst season uh, ever in coaching in 2006, and they finished five and eleven. Dang. So that brings us to 2007. Gibbs is still the head coach. And 2007's a, this is a really interesting year. So in November of 2007, the Redskins were sitting at five and six. And they received news that strong sa- or free safety, Sean Taylor had been killed in his Miami home in a botched robbery. Now, I know you remember Sean Taylor. The dude was a monster. He was definitely well, the best player on the team, too, at that time. Yeah. I mean, too bad it was his fault he got shot in his own house. Someone was trying to rob. That was That's not my quote. That's um, Who's that douchebag that's on the radio and says a bunch of stupid shit? Oh, yeah. Who did say that? I know what you're talking about. Colin Coward said that. That was, yeah. What That's the, f- the most BS thing ever. How was it your own fault that you get shot in a <laughs> bus robbery in your own Taylor damn house? getting himself shot. In most states, you're allowed to murder people if you're in your house and they try to break in. So, uh, whatever. I don't. But, I don't think I've ever been more sad, in like sports wise, from that moment when I heard that Sean Taylor had been killed. That was one of the most depressing days I've ever had. See, I remember that too, but like, I since I wasn't like connected to the fan base, like I kind of, 
avoided most of it, but I remember well, the the helmet stickers, and I remember it being a big deal. But well, I remember not getting a lot of me, information I, I don't know on if it. You talked to me on that day because that was like senior year. But I think I just sat quietly everywhere I went that day, and Kyle just kept coming to make sure I was okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I remember, but I, I, you know, it was the information that came out about it was really goofy. The whole thing was weird. Yeah, it's it, to this day, there's some fishy stuff with that. Like, they say it's a botched robbery, but then other people said it was planned, like they were coming after him, and I don't know. Uh, Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator at that, that time, so in honor of Sean Taylor uh, in the next game back, they... Uh, came out on defense and on their first play only had 10 men on the field. Did they get a penalty for that or they let them do it? No, they let them do it. And um, the bill, they're playing the bills. And if I remember correctly, the bills just ran the ball. So it was kind of like a ceremonious thing. That's kind of cool. I mean, that's, that's actually kind of transcends sports in a way. Cause you know, you could just throw a deep pass or do something to be a dick, but that's respect to... Yeah, yeah, there was there was some honor there. Uh, the Redskins uh, led in that game the whole time, 16-14. to 14, And it came down to Buffalo's kicker. So Buffalo's kicker lined up for a 51-yarder with eight seconds left. Sorry, can't flip. Um, and... Right after he lined up, Joe Gibbs decided to ice him. So Joe Gibbs called the timeout. When the Bills lined up to kick again, Gibbs called another timeout to ice him a second time. Uh, and that resulted in a 15-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct because you can't call two timeouts in a row. Same huh. team. I, so, uh, I remember that, but I remember when was that rule passed? Because I remember people were doing that and then... And they got rid of it, but I don't remember when exactly that happened. Well, it's a or terrible time to – It's yeah, you've never been able to call timeouts twice the same team. Um, <laughs> the negative with that was when you give them 15 yards, that makes a 51-yard kick 36 yards. Um, so it was uh, – the obviously the kicker ended up making the kick, resulting in a loss, and the team fell to 5-7. and seven. In the next game, Jason Campbell would get hurt with a knee injury, and Todd Collins, the old journeyman quarterback, came in, and he was—I mean, it was his team for the rest of the season at that point. He came in and just played out of his mind, and they beat Chicago, and then won all of their remaining games. Portis went insane at the end of that season. Todd Collins had the best year of his life. Like they just—they put together a really improbable streak. So the team would get to the playoffs at nine and seven. Uh, and I remember that they were really saying this is an honor of Sean Taylor. This is for Sean Taylor. And they fought really hard, but ended up losing in the wild card round to the Seahawks. So Joe Gibbs would retire a few days later. You got, you got to leave on a high note. So 2007 was like the definition of an up and down season. Obviously the lowest of the low was Sean Taylor, but that winning streak at the end of the season gave everybody hope for 2008. Hey, can I say that um, I thought we were talking about Dan Snyder and uh, we haven't talked about him in this entire That's It's yet. all set up. It's all set up because I'm about to talk to you about him right now. So after that, when Joe Gibbs retired again, Dan Snyder – 
went back to his old self. Like he had kind of backed away for a little while while Gibbs was there, but now he's going to bring himself back to the forefront of the team. And trying to replace Joe Gibbs was an absolute nightmare for Snyder. Everybody that he called wasn't interested in the job. And it got to the point where he was so worried that he wasn't going to find coaches that he signed his offensive coordinator before he signed his head coach. He hired Jim Zorn to be the offensive coordinator. That seems kind of back-ass words. It was a huge mistake because after that, even though he wasn't getting the people he wanted, even the second tier of head coaching options refused to go to Washington because they already had an offensive coordinator. No coach is going to want to come in and not be able to have input in who's hired as the offensive coordinator. Yeah, that's that was a bad move. but Yeah, it was one of the worst mistakes he's ever made. So he did the only thing he really could do at that point, which was – uh, move Jim Zorn, who he had hired as offensive coordinator, up to head coach. So Jim Zorn became the new head coach of the Redskins. Man, that's a that's a good way to like fail upwards. I mean, yeah. not really fail upwards, but luck into a job. Yeah, nothing like knowing that you weren't even wanted. <laughs> it's like, well, we were going to try to hire somebody else, but I'm an idiot and I hired you first. And people are like, oh, I want to pick my own staff. I don't want to work with this idiot. So to make it worse, uh, a few days after Zorn took over at an interview, he was uh, talking and he said the team colors were maroon and black, but he promised he would not let the fans down. Um, okay. Yeah, not maroon and black. How long has he been? How long was he a coordinator? <laughs> offensive coordinator? He was yeah. offensive coordinator for like two weeks and then head coach. Oh, but oh, I mean, okay. he was an offensive coordinator before that, of course. I mean, that's what I meant to say was yeah. I couldn't. I didn't know if he was like left over from the season prior. Or they just straight up hired him. No, they just hired. They brought him in that year. That's this, so that stupid. Why would you do that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Snyder also did a rare interview that year where he said, "I've this is a quote. I've made plenty of mistakes, but I've learned from my mistakes. As a good entrepreneur, a good CEO would do. I've matured." I wasn't patient enough in certain areas early on. I didn't understand the agents, the contractual relationship with the salary cap, the importance of age of players. Now it's easy for me. It's second nature. No, it's not. This guy is so delusional. Everything that he just said he was still doing. He said that he wasn't patient enough early on. Well, if you were more patient, you wouldn't hire an offensive coordinator before you hired a head coach. I have to understand. I've started understanding the age of players. Okay, so why are you still signing old free agents? Like, just absolute idiot. Man, I I wish I could be as delusional as this guy. It would probably make my life so much harder, but like it would feel easier. The difference between him and Jerry Jones is Jerry Jones has a reason to be delusional. I mean, the fact that he's probably like, had senility creep in about 20 years ago and just been, you know. Well, he actually on that. had won something. Snyder never won anything. Barely. He had two playoff seasons since he's taken over at this point. That they lost to the Seahawks both times? Actually, three, because they lost to Tampa Bay in 99. Yeah, and then Seattle twice. So, three. <laughs> so, from 1999, when he bought the team, to. 2008, which is the season we're at now, they went to three playoff games. I mean, uh, he's obviously doing something, right? I mean, at least they made the playoffs. 
I guess. So the team under Zorn started out six and two. It started looking like they had made the right decision and maybe it wasn't such a stupid thing to do. But the uh, Redskins would end up finishing eight and eight. Oh, I wanted like um I wanted to stop you before you finished and be like, let me guess, they lost all their other games. <laughs> so Clint Portis uh, that year started getting a little flaky in his interviews. Started taking some uh, shots at Jim Zorn, and he even went to Snyder and Vinny Serrato uh, to tell him that Zorn. Uh, that Zorn needed to, they needed to take care of Zorn. And so to fix the problem, Dan Snyder and Vinny uh, sat Jim Zorn down and reiterated just how important Clinton Portis was to the team. I'm sure that made everything so much better and didn't make a coach resent a single player. Yeah, that never goes well when the owners take the player's side on stuff. So 2009 rolls around and Snyder makes one of the worst decisions he's made as an owner. He signs Albert Hainsworth to a $100 million contract where half of it's guaranteed. That one was hilarious. Didn't like Hainsworth show up to camp severely overweight even though he was already fat? Yes, he was out of shape. Um, Everybody that had worked with Albert Hainsworth in Tennessee said he had a poor work ethic and um, that you're just not going to get that much back from, like, he's a good player when he wants to be a good player, but most of the time he's just lazy. Wasn't he also old at the time or older? Uh, no, he wasn't necessarily old. That wasn't the problem. He just didn't care. Uh, so that ended up failing miserably. Uh, later, also, also, didn't he get hurt and, like, not play a lot of games? Yeah. Or he, he just not he play got a benched. lot? Well, he'd get hurt. And miss games. And then I think every season he was there, by the end of the season, they basically just deactivated him. They're like, what's the point? And so he would just sit on the sideline the whole time. Man, if I'm Albert Hainsworth in this situation, I'm just like laughing all the way to the bank. Well, that's exactly why it happened, though. He already had poor work ethic, and then you give him $50 million guaranteed. He's probably in his head. He's like, I don't really have to ever work again. Uh, later in that same offseason, the Broncos began to try and shop Jay Cutler. The Redskins offered Jason Campbell and some picks to the Broncos, but they ended up taking a similar offer from the Bears because they'd rather have Kyle Orton over Jason Campbell. So Campbell then went to uh, journalist Peter King and told him that he felt like a piece of toilet paper. <laughs> Yeah, so nothing like first pissing off Portis and Zorn by not doing what either one of them wanted, and then you make Jason Campbell feel like a piece of trash because you're just trying to get rid of him for Jay Cutler. Uh, The team lost the third game of the season to the Lions, which snapped the Lions' 19-game losing streak. Snyder was furious. (laughs) I forgot how trash the Lions were. He was so pissed that he called up Vinny Serrato and they hopped on his private jet and flew to Denver to meet with Mike Shanahan. They showed up at Shanahan's house in the middle of the night and Shanahan informed them that he does not want to take over in the middle of the season, but to give him a call for the next year. 
Like, I meant, like, was he just sleeping and they're, like, knocking on the window, like, throwing rocks or something? I have no idea. And, That's exactly what I was and, wondering, and, too. And like, if he was, like, sitting on his porch drinking, drinking a scotch or something, kind of half asleep, and then Shotgun, Dan Snyder like, and Vinny Serrato walk up and they're like, Mike, Mike, we need you right now. Come back to D.C. with us. I choose to believe it as, you know, as, uh, what's his name, uh, Snyder's, like, standing there holding a boombox above his head, <laughs> and Serato's throwing rocks at the window, and, about me. and then Shanahan's, like, looking out the window, <laughs> like, get off my lawn. Can you believe that, though? Like, they literally had the balls to just hop on a plane and go try to hire Shanahan right there and right then, and bring him back with him to take over. How does that even, like, what conversation do you have to be like, we're demoting you, or do you do get rid of Jim Look, Zorn? we will fire Jim Zorn in a heartbeat if you come with us right now. Hop on our plane. I feel like they might have just done better, like, not having any coaches. It was embarrassing. We'll have a defensive coordinator, and, you know, we'll just we'll just let the quarterback pick the plays. It'll work itself out. So, in October that same year, Snyder was... Like I said, he was pissed about what the Lions game. He was just mad in general about the season. So he ended up hiring former NFL assistant Sherman Lewis as an offensive consultant. Uh, When Sherman was asked what he had been doing prior to joining the Redskins, he said that he was calling bingo games at the senior center. (laughs) So he, he hadn't been doing much. Wow. Uh when, yeah. when when Coach Zorn was asked about Lewis, he told the press, bless his heart, he doesn't even know the names of the players on the roster. That's pretty funny. Oh, man, the bless his, bless, bless his heart is... The F.U. of the South. Oh, man, it's great. <laughs> so after the team fell to two and, four, two and four, Zorn was told that Lewis would be taking over play-calling duties. <laughs> Man, this is this this is like this is just turning into like arrested development. Is this enough Dan Snyder for you now? I told you yeah. we were getting back. It only took forty minutes to get to it. So Snyder and Serato, uh, their grand. This was a scheme, okay? This was not like it wasn't mentally. They knew what they were doing, and their operation was to try to get Jim Zorn to quit. So, so they bring in this offensive consultant. Wait, are they just trying to to make him quit in the most passive aggressive way yes, they can? Yes, exactly. <laughs> to get him to quit, they brought in a guy that had been out of coaching for years, so out of coaching that he was like doing volunteer time at the senior citizen and then give him play calling duties. That's pretty great. So by December, Snyder had had enough of Serato and decided to, decided to fire him. That's when Bruce Allen was hired as the general manager. Uh, The first game after Allen was hired was an absolute disaster. The Redskins um, were beat 45 to 12. And in that game, they had one of the most embarrassing plays I've ever seen, which was a fake field goal. I don't know if you remember this fake field goal, but it basically had – a bunch of people lined up to the left as like wide receivers and then a couple of people blocking. So it looked like this weird, like kick and bunch type play, but you have to, you kind of have to go see it. It's ridiculous. It was a terrible fake. Like it fooled no one. It didn't work. And it was so bad that Jim Zorn decided to call it, call it twice in that game. Oh, wow. Is it like, um, 
I don't know when you said that when you said one of the worst plays you've ever seen. I immediately went to that Colts play. That it's second to the Colts. The Colts play okay. is worse, but this one's a very very close second. So, uh, as I said, that was in December. So Zorn was out at the end of the season. He had had enough of them, and they had had enough of him. So 2010 came around, and that was the year. Uh, that's what I would call a year of restored optimism. Mike Shanahan was hired as head coach. Uh, he brought in his son, Kyle, and things seemed like they were getting on the right track. Now, the reason why, the other reason Vinny was fired for Bruce Allen was because Bruce Allen was buddies with Mike Shanahan, and that was kind of the thing that sealed the deal to get Shanahan to come to Washington. But why did they have to fire Serrano in the middle of the season for that? Honestly, that I don't know. It's just a very Dan Snyder thing to do. No time like the present. They're probably like chumming it up on his plane, like flying around the country trying to like pick out <laughs> retired coaches. Remember that then... time we flew to Mike Shanahan's house at 3 a.m. to try to convince him to come back to coaching in the middle of a season? Oh, you're fired. Yeah, I, I imagine it would probably go like that. So that first season that Mike Shanahan was there, the team gave up two uh, – very high draft picks to get Donovan McNabb from the Eagles. And when Shanahan was asked if he even wanted Donovan McNabb, he said, yes, Donovan's a great quarterback, but the price was a little steep. Uh, their, their relationship ended up not going great. Shanahan benched McNabb in a winnable game against Detroit uh, where they were down by like seven. It was still a variable, very winnable game, but he benched him for Rex Grossman. Ugh, that's gross, man. Uh, it really didn't make sense because McNabb hadn't been perfect, but he had he had, had some moments that season where you're like, okay, this guy can still play. He he he'd been serviceable, is how I would describe it. If you give me the options of having Donovan McNabb and Rex Grossman in a winnable game, I'd pick Donovan McNabb. <clears> as would most. And that's the part that drives me nuts about that is I actually liked McNabb with the Redskins. And then when they did that, it made no sense to me because you know what you get in Rex Grossman. Yeah, he went to a Super Bowl, but he literally did nothing that season to get them there. Ryan Erlacher's fabulous hair got them there. So Also, have you seen him now with hair? It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it looks kind of weird. It's hard to get over. It looks It looks weird. There's a billboard right outside my apartment that had his, like, picture put up there for a while and i was like Ugh. it gives me the heebie-jeebies it looks so unnatural i mean it's good you know for for what it is but he had no hair for like 30 years so everybody knows he doesn't have hair so it's just like you're a fake you want to hear a sad story about that season to you every story you've told about the redskins has been sad so uh, that september my mom and dad bought me tickets to go see the redskins play dallas and um, I just got so excited about that season once they traded for McNabb that I was walking around the uh, Trade Center in Corpus and I actually saw a Donovan McNabb jersey, so I bought it for the game. I wore it to the game. I was all excited. Uh, I show up, and the day of that Cowboys game, they announced that Rex Grossman would be starting in place of McNabb. Oh, no. So I was walking around in a freshly benched quarterback jersey. That's I mean, this isn't quite the same, but it's like I uh, I went to like my first Stars game in like years, and I was so excited to see Ben Bishop play goalie, and he didn't play, and I'd been talking him up the whole time, and then he didn't play. 
Yeah. It's not the same thing, but, you know, because goalies, you know, they switch out, but still. It sucks either way. Uh, so the week after that Detroit game, even though they had benched McNabb for Grossman, they said he would be starting again next week. And they also gave him a contract extension going into that game, but it only guaranteed $3 million. So uh, the team played uh, that Monday night against the Eagles and had one of the worst games in team history. Uh, Mike Vick and the Eagles beat the Redskins 59. Uh, I'm sorry, they put up 59 points that game. Wow. Yeah, your dog didn't like that either. Yeah, it was it was bad. Uh, after that, McNabb was benched for the remainder of the season for Rex Grossman, and the team finished 6-10. and 10. 2011 was a gas leak year. Uh, Rex Grossman and John Beck were the starting quarterbacks and they interchanged them. It was awful. Um, And the reason I call it the gas leak year is honestly, I can't remember anything from that season other than Rex Grossman. John Beck, isn't he the the guy that uh, wrote that song, uh, Loser? Yeah. Funny you should say that. He's a loser, baby, and why don't we kill him? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then that puts us to 2012. 2012 is an important year because um, it started out as a media circus. So Dan and Bruce traded a total of three first rounders and a second rounder to move up to the second spot in that draft. That, that, man, just hearing it said is... Because you know where this is going. Yeah, I know, but just... I remember it happening and like laughing about it, but then just hearing it out loud again, it's just, it made me like crack up a little bit. So the Colts had the number one pick of that draft. uh, And this was the season after they let go of Peyton Manning, the whole entire off season. The talk was who was going to be the first and second pick. Was it going to be RG three, then Andrew Luck or Andrew Luck. And then RG three. So, both players were incredibly talented in college. Both of them looked like surefire, non-misses. And um, a few days after the trade, the NFL announced that they were going to be fining the Redskins and Cowboys for stashing contracts in that uncapped year of 2010. So if you remember, 2010 was that weird like lockout year where the season almost didn't happen, but then it did. But because of how late it started, they had to take the cap off and kind of use like a gentleman's agreement on how much you could spend. Do you remember that? I kind of I kind of do. So the Redskins and the Cowboys both took players and restructured some of their contracts. So that way they would have more money to spend. It's very confusing. I'm not going to go into the technicals of it. But basically just they were they started kind of. uh Messing with the cap and the contracts when they were not supposed to do that. So they basically paid people more money the year that they were technically on cap. Exactly. So that they could have more free money. Yeah. So, that sounds like both of those people would make those moves. So the Redskins ended up getting fined $36 million. So you have to understand how that changes everything. Because you just traded off two for, or three first-round picks... And now you have this cap penalty for the next couple of years that you have to deal with. So, yeah, you can draft RG3 or Andrew Luck, and that's going to be great, but they didn't really have much cap space to do anything around them. So, I mean, that seems like a tomorrow problem. They'll figure it out. 
And the other thing was, without the cap space, you were really depending on your drafting. And yes, you're going to get a good quarterback this year, but after that, what do you do? Because now you have no first round picks. So you like have you can't miss basically in the second round. You have to get lucky. So it was a, just a really. I mean, they were up against the wall. So uh, it was difficult to sign free agents, and. Uh, so really the whole franchise depended on RG3 once he was drafted number 2 overall. So RG Man, don't they uh man, I bet you they wish they could have got to that one spot. How different would the Redskins franchise look like if they'd had the number 1 pick or would they still picked RG3? I don't I honestly can't answer. I don't think they would have passed on Andrew Luck. I mean obviously like one. it's I mean the Colts went from Peyton Manning to to Andrew Luck, and they're literally like the same person except for one tries to grow a really terrible facial hair. The other thing about it, the other option that they have that I've always wondered how different it would be was they had the seventh pick that year. They could have just waited and drafted uh, Ryan Tannehill at the seventh and kept all their other first-round picks. And that honestly might have been the best move in hindsight. Who's to say RG3 wouldn't have made it that far? I don't remember the whole team situation. No, he was not going to make year. it that far. Okay. It was literally him and Luck were the top two, and whoever got the second one was going to pick the other one. I mean, Tannehill did okay. He just always got hurt. Yeah, I mean, he's not great, but but you also have to remember you'd have the three other first-rounders that you traded, so that would that's the reason why I always wonder about that situation. It's the whole like Ricky Williams situation. You trade away your whole team to get one player, and you got to hope it works. And to this day, I'm still not mad about the RG3 thing, and I think there's a lot of people that feel this way because 2012 is one of my favorite seasons of all time. Like the way he played that year was amazing. It just I, the injuries just didn't. I mean, didn't he work was out. great, but he got scared once he got hurt, and he just never was the same. So when he came to the team, uh, some of the first things that people noticed were was that he was fantastic in interviews. He was very personable. He had a lot of personality. Uh, he was humble at first when he first got there. Uh, and everybody loved him. He just seemed like a really nice guy. Uh, that year, the Redskins also unveiled the read option offense. And they, they did that from the first game when they played New Orleans. It was uh, it was absolutely electric at that time period. Now everybody's doing it, but they were the first team to pull out that read option and just dominate with it. By the way, I really hate that everybody just says um, RPO now all the time. It annoys me. It's like every play's a goddamn Rim pass RPO. Option. It's it's stupid. So uh, even though RG three came in and was was on fire from the start during that saints game. He had an amazing touchdown to Garson. He had that big run against the Vikings, like that 60 yard touchdown run against the Vikings to seal that game. He was awesome, but unfortunately the rest of the team wasn't doing as well as RG three. And they went into the bye at three and six. I don't remember if they beat the saints that year or not. They did. They did. They did beat the saints in that game. Okay. So, uh, when they came out of the bye, the wins started piling up. RG3 had a defining moment against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving of that year where they just absolutely annihilated the Cowboys' defense. And, um, after, and then after the game, this is a story I just found out about when I was doing this. 
After that game, uh, Snyder let RG3 stay in Dallas to watch Baylor play the next day because they were going to play at Jerry World the next day. And uh, even had Thanksgiving dinner with the Griffin family. (laughs) That's pretty funny, That's a weird move. The owner probably shouldn't have Thanksgiving dinner with uh, the family of one of his players. So that, that... that's key because that's what starts pissing off Mike Shanahan, by the way, which will be important later. Uh, so late in the season, Griffin begins to show signs of wear and tear. He misses the end of a game against the game, game against Baltimore, and then he missed the next start over against Cleveland, where Kirk Cousins played. Hey, you also didn't say they drafted Kirk Cousins in that same draft either. You're right, I didn't mention that. Kirk Cousins was drafted in the fourth round of that year. So, theoretically, they could have just waited to the fourth round and got a quarterback. I mean, ideally, that's not how it works. But... Well, nobody knew Kirk Cousins was going to do as good as he did once he started playing. By the way, obviously. that play he had in college, that was like the, the, the most like hair-on-your-chinny-chin thing you could ever do the hell mary that hell mary is yeah. ridiculous it's one of like the few plays i can like close my eyes and picture also because they showed the replay like a million times but it was just like that ball like there's probably like just a you know like a hair on a tick like just made it i mean it was just like it went through for a second and came back out it was ridiculous yeah it was nuts uh, during that Cleveland game, the cameras kept panning over to RG3, who was kind of pouting on the sideline. Uh, so after the game, the media asked him, the the news asked him if he was all right, and he said that he was just frustrated that he had to miss time. Uh, he ended up returning to the lineup for the final two games of the season and helped the Skins win out, so they went from 3-6 and six to 10-6. and six. And they ended up... Uh, that ended up setting up a playoff game against Seattle in FedEx Field, which is only the second playoff home game that they had had since Snyder took over. Wow. I bet you they lost. Well, they jumped out to a 14-point lead. It was 14-0. to zero, and uh, But after that, or you could see RG3 kind of limping around, and you could tell that he was in pain. But he stayed in the game. Uh, so they ended up putting a brace on his knee at one point and he was still, he couldn't really move, but he was still passing out of the pocket and it looked like he was going to survive the game. But, uh, in the fourth quarter, is it the third quarter or the fourth quarter? I think it was the, I think it was the third quarter in the third quarter. He had got a bad snap out of shotgun. And when he bent down to pick up the ball out of the dirt, he ended up twisting his knee and fell straight over and that was when RG3 blew his knee out that season. Huh. I, Yeah, I remember it was at the end because he took a while to – When it had, since it happened so late, he didn't recover right. Yeah, like he still starts at week season, one. Right? No, he still starts week oh, one next year, which but is – that's – yeah, that's That's crazy. he shouldn't have though, right? I Absolutely remember, I think not. I remember that. Okay. I think I remember them saying like, oh, he's playing, and it's like, oh, he should not be playing. So the part that's irritating about that is in that game, you could tell he was hurt. And when they had a 14-point lead, the smart move would have been to put Kirk Cousins in there and let him finish the game because they probably could have just ran the ball with Albert Morris, Alfred Morris the rest of that game and still won at least to get to the second round of the playoffs. But you got to play <clears throat> to win the game. But unfortunately, they didn't do that. So uh, 
that was a, the next offseason after that playoff loss got weird. RG3, Shanahan, Snyder, and RG3's dad all entered this weird uh, this weird business of blaming each other and finger pointing. Uh, his dad would blame Mike Shanahan for not taking him out of the game in that playoff game when he was hurt. RG3 was... Um, he was trying to be really positive and he even had this Adidas ad that came out that year where it showed him like working out. And then at the end it popped up the saying all in for week one. So he kind of boxed himself into a corner because he kept telling everybody he'd be back. He'd be back even to the point where he had like national commercials saying that he was going to come back for week one that season. So when week one rolled around, he, they felt like he had to start. I mean, he got hurt in December, right? The end of yes, December, yes. and played in September. Yes, beginning of September. Yes, he missed the whole preseason, but he was back for Week One. Like that's kind of a quick turnaround for an injury that severe, especially since what Carson Wentz got hurt like early in the season, and it took him three. He games got hurt after in the, the first of December, so Wentz got hurt in the first of December and still missed three games. Technically, RG3 got hurt in January because it was the playoffs and he was back for week one. So he was a whole month ahead of where Wentz was in terms of injury. Which means he, yeah, which means he shouldn't have been playing. No, he should have come back about, he should have either sat out the whole season and fully recovered, which would have done wonders for his career, or at the very least wait till like week, somewhere between week eight to 10 to come back. I mean, that helped JJ Watt because he kept trying to force himself back. Then he was never healthy. And then he finally, I think, sat out a year and he came back normal. But that's the, I mean, that's the unfortunate thing of being like the, a young superstar who wasn't ready to be a superstar, which is RG3's biggest issue. Like he felt like he had to be back and he would not, take the time off that he needed to uh to try to keep the injury from happening again that offseason he also he and both him and his dad uh talked to mike shanahan and kyle shanahan a lot during the offseason saying that he, he need they needed uh he needed rg3 to be more of a pocket passer like rg3 and his dad kept telling shanahan like make him more of a pocket passer make him more of a pocket passer protect his legs unfortunately that does not play to his strength. His greatest strength was how fast and mobile he was, and he should have just got healthy so he could have returned to that mobility. But instead, they wanted him to become a pocket passer. He He's also should have learned how to slide. Bad. Oh, yeah. He never slid before, huh? No, he just took hits. He was an idiot about that. I mean, him and Deshaun Watson both. I mean, they have they play very similarly. But Yeah, but... If you notice, Watson's good at not taking a hit now. Yes, in college, he never slid. What do you mean he's not good at taking a hit? He literally, that one game, he got beat up so he bad he fractured ribs. and <laughs> The Cowboys game. Yeah, okay, so he got lung. hit a lot this year in that game. But for mo the most part, he's been good at kind of protecting himself. He literally had to take a bus to Jacksonville. Well, he, That's got to be Put miserable. your body on the line to win the game. I'm just saying... You know. So during all of this, Snyder was accused of playing both sides. Uh, Shanahan, the Shanahan's thought that he was coddling RG3. RG3 thought he wasn't being firm enough against the Shanahan's and like about the pocket passing thing. And Snyder just kind of ho hummed his way through it by just nodding and agreeing with whoever would talk to him. <laughs> uh, I'm imagining him doing that, by the way. Like as soon as you, as soon as you said the 
playing both sides, I totally can picture all of that happening. So uh, they started out the first 13 games. They started out 3-10. and 10, And after that, RG3 was deactivated. He hadn't really been himself all year. You could tell that he still had some stuff he needed to work on. So they deactivated him to protect him so he wouldn't get hurt. But uh, that pissed RG3 off. And it also pissed Dan Snyder off, even though Mike Shanahan says the reason why he did that was to try to save RG3 for the next season because he still believed that they could have been really good together if he had been healthy. I mean, that's obvious considering, you know, you have that first year when he was healthy. So, uh, unfortunately, Shanahan would never see that the 2014 season. He was fired. And Jay Gruden was hired to replace him with the stipulation that he was supposed to work with RG3 and fix him and get everything back to where he was supposed to be. Wait, Jay Gruden was hired that long ago? Yep, 2014. Damn, I didn't realize he'd been like, why are they keeping him? Like, what dirt does he have? Anyway, well, I don't know. I think they're keeping him because Stan Snyder's convinced himself that he needs to have some sort of consistency. Unfortunately, maybe this isn't place to put that on he's also the king he's of like thinking. jeff fisher style seasons where he finishes seven nine at eight and eight and you know finishes just mediocre enough that you kind of want to give him another chance he's fired people for less though true uh so when like i said green was hired with the idea that he would come in and work very well with rg3 unfortunately they didn't get along uh, through that, through the whole off season and the start of the season, Gruden was very dismissive of RG three. Uh, when RG three dislocated his ankle that year, uh, Gruden was asked uh, what he thought about that and what he was going to do, and his response was, "That's life." <laughs> My question is: Do they sit these people down in a room together if the idea is to bring in somebody that you think is going to work well with someone? Do you sit them down and let them talk and see if they even like each other first? You should, but you know they didn't. Some teams have done that with their like you know their star players. You know they they give them input on it and it actually helps. Sometimes it doesn't, but yeah, it's definitely. A smarter decision than doing it this way. If you want to build your team around one specific player, you need to bring in a coach that caters to that one specific player. But so, what do I know? So the dislocated ankle sidelined uh, Griffin for six weeks. And uh, Gruden was very noncommittal about if he would, uh, if RG3 would start, even if he got healthy. So Kirk Cousins was given uh, the shot to fill in for him in those games that he was out, but he was terrible and threw four interceptions in a game and was just, just awful. So Colt McCoy ended up taking over the starting quarterback position. Huh. I didn't, re- I didn't realize Kirk was that bad at first. Oh yeah. It was terrible at first. And so Colt came in and then when RG three got healthy, Gruden really had no other choice, but to start, RG3 um, because of how bad Kirk Cousins had been, but they played terrible through those, those last few games with RG3 that season. And it got, it got so bad that there was one point where uh, in a press conference, Griffin actually threw the rest of the team under the bus and said that it's hard to be the, it's hard to be a great quarterback when the rest of the team's not playing great. 
that's pretty funny considering I do remember how we played and um I don't think it was the team's fault. Yeah, it's it was really frustrating because like I said earlier when he first got to the league he was very humble. Um he seemed like a really nice guy and then this is what he turned into with all of the superstar treatment, the coddling by the owner, being pissed off about the coaching situations, he just turned into an asshole. And the team I mean, maybe finished, he learned uh, it all. Maybe maybe he learned it all in college, you know, going to like a huge uh, rape school. I think it came after, but hey, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. So for the 2015 season, Dan Snyder made a very un-Snydery move. He actually moved uh, Bruce Allen to vice president of football operations and brought in a new general manager uh, named Scott McLaughlin. So Scott McLaughlin was, he was a kind of a big deal in the NFL at that time. He was the general manager for the San Francisco 49ers when they got to that Super Bowl with uh, <coughs> with Jim Harbaugh. He was um, the general manager for the Seahawks during their rebuild, and he's the reason why they had the Legion of Boom and Marshawn Lynch. So he had, he had had two very successful franchises that he rebuilt. So needless to say... Uh, fans of the Redskins were really excited about this move because it finally felt like Snyder was making a move that was just was the for the good for the t- of the team, not for his pocketbook, not to try to bring in celebrity status players. Like he brought in a guy that was a great football mind. Well, why did he keep Bruce Allen and promote him essentially? Uh, honest to God, I can't answer that. It's the same I mean, reason I, he has Bruce Allen now. Bruce Allen wasn't hadn't been terrible at his job at that point, but he's still. You can tell that he's incompetent. I don't know why he still has a job. I mean, I just don't get it because the moves and stuff. I mean, yeah, they got really lucky with that one draft, but like they don't. They're not a team that really drafts well, and they seem to do terrible off free agency. Uh, this is kind of a side tangent, but I don't know if you know this, but um, Redskins fans hate Bruce Allen so much that anytime the Washington Redskins Twitter page posts anything, everyone puts hashtag fire Bruce Allen as the comments. So if you go look at anything the Redskins have posted later, it's hashtag fire Bruce Allen, hashtag fire Bruce Allen, hashtag fire Bruce Allen. So uh, he's not a very popular man at this time, but Scott McLaughlin he was extremely popular when he was brought in. I remember the Redskins subreddit, there were people calling him our savior, Scott McLaughlin. <laughs> he was the first. Yeah, let's see. I'm, I'm curious how this turns out. He was the first true GM that the team had brought in since Charlie Casserly. And by that, I mean, he was the first guy that had been a GM everywhere he went. Like, that was what he was good at. And he was the first one that was brought in like that since Charlie Casserly was fired 15 years before that. I just don't understand how a person who's willing to spend this much money on their, like, to make their team, like, do all this stuff, just never got the personnel like you think he would go and spend a bunch of money to get one of the like pay too much for a gm to to make his team work with you know the amount of effort he puts into his team but yeah especially with him being a fan of the team growing up like you would think dan snyder would want nothing more than to have the team be successful and you know he would want to be 
I feel like he should want to be the hero of the Redskins, but instead he's just worried about. I don't even know what he's worried about at this point. Like I know he's. I mean, it's money. He's making good money. But I don't know what wakes Dan Snyder up in the morning that gets him excited to do anything. Like, if I owned a team, I would do what um, the Jaguars owner finally did and hire somebody to run everything that actually, like, knows the system and knows all the stuff. Because, you know, the Jags didn't do that great this year, but they did awesome last year. Yeah, that's a lot of Tom Coughlin, too. And and it's because of Tom Coughlin. None of that started until they brought him on in that role. Like, I know that I don't know that, you know, how to run a team. I'd at least snipe away, like, a good GM from a team. Now, not to get into a big Tom Coughlin, but he's also – the other problem with that move, though, is that Tom Coughlin – has been accused of being very out of touch with the players. So that seems to be the one negative about him. Like, yes, he knows how to build a team, but I don't know that he knows how to get along with the team anymore. Yeah, but, I mean, that's why he's not a coach. That's, I mean, how many of those front office people really bond with the players? True, true. Uh, there was one little bitty issue with Scott, uh, and that was that, he it had been rumored around the league that he had been fired from his previous jobs because he had a drinking problem. Oh boy, I uh, you you had my uh, not, you had my attention. Now you got my curiosity. So even with that being said, um, they hired him. Uh, then the media came out and asked Bruce Allen, like, "Are you worried about this? Because we've heard that he has a drinking problem." And Bruce Allen, I don't have the direct quote here. But Bruce Allen said something to the effect of, no, he's doing really good. He's helped clean up his uh, his act by just sticking to beer instead of hard liquor. Oh, no, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But, hey, that was, for me and the fan base, that was good enough. It was like, all right, well, he's got it. He's got it from you're here. Not, you're, you're not supposed to deflect it and admit it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, at first... Uh, after Scott, Jay, and Dan, and Bruce, and the whole team met, one of the things that they decided that they wanted to do was commit to RG3. They even picked up his fifth-year option during that offseason and said that he was going to start the next season. They were committed to giving RG3 another shot. Uh, RG3 came out in the preseason and looked kind of sloppy again. Still didn't really look like 2012 RG3. And even got uh, even had a concussion scare where they thought he was going to miss some time with a concussion. After all that, they announced Kirk Cousins would be starting. I was waiting for it. I every time you say like we're going to do, they're like we're committed, we're going to do this. In my head, it's like, well, that person's not going to play. So at first, they announced it as just the next game. They're like, RG three got hurt a little bit last week. He got banged up. We're going to start Kirk Cousins. And then a couple of days later, Jay Gruden said that it was Kirk's team now. So it was a permanent move. Good old Captain Kirk. So uh, I'm not going to go year by year through the Kirk Cousins years because that wasn't that long ago. So I think most people listening to this probably remember like two seasons of Kirk Cousins. But let's talk about some of the stuff that happened around those seasons. Uh so, going into the offseason after Kirk Cousins' first year, uh, that was the year, his first year starter, which was the year that they played the Packers in the playoffs. They won the division. Uh, things got weird with Scott McLaughlin, Bruce Allen, and Dan Snyder, as one would assume. Uh, 
when it came when it came to that offseason, McLaughlin was uh, restricted from talking to the media, and former player and radio host and fan favorite Chris Cooley came out on his show and speculated that it had to do with his drinking. Uh, a lot of people laughed that off at the time. They're like, nah, Scott's not having problems again. Chris, you're being crazy. But then when the combine rolled around, uh, Scott McLaughlin wasn't at the combine, just Dan and Bruce. I know it pissed me off too. <laughs> so when Bruce Allen was asked why the team, uh, why McLaughlin wasn't at the combine, uh, he told the media that, uh, McLaughlin's grandmother had died and he made it sound like it had just been the week before, like within days, you know, he's like, yeah, his grandmother died a few days ago. Uh, he's taking care of some family stuff. He'll be back. But when, uh, some journalists started doing some digging and looking into that excuse, it turned out that she had been dead for over a month. Oh no. Why, why you gotta like, why can't you just say he's doing something? I, I don't know. There's not really a good way to answer that. At least he didn't say, like, you know, he, he was drinking beer, but it turns out he was drinking, like, you know, the 9.6% beer instead of the, you know, 5% beer. Well, he's drinking, uh, he's mixing O'Doul's and Miller Lite into a giant glass now, and it's 50-50, so he's diluting his own beer. That's good, right? Well, he started playing Edward Forty Hands, you know, but then he was doing it like three times throughout the day. So it it came out after the grandmother thing happened. It came out that McLaughlin had been relapsing um, for the previous 18 months. Wow. So basically, since he got the job, he had been having drinking problems again. I, I know it's a serious thing. I know alcoholism is like a real alcoholism is like a real thing. But um, every time you say drinking problems, I just picture an airplane and him just missing his mouth when he's drinking. <laughs> and I know that's not. I've like, got a you know, drinking problem. It, it it made something that's really not funny kind of funny. So but. every time the camera like finds Scott McLaughlin, he's just got liquid all over the front of his shirt. Yeah, <laughs> he's trying to drink water out of a cup and he just pours it all down his like chin and stomach that's that it's funny though how some of these people that like you find out later that they have these like severe like drinking things you know or like alcoholics that um they were so functional during those time periods like the most surprising stuff was all the the sarkeesian stuff that came out when he was at usc yeah yeah no I, hey won a game drunk that's something nobody else has done <laughs> so i can't remember half the games i won i was hammer so when Scott was there, they almost re-signed Kirk Cousins. You know, remember the franchise tag things, the two years? Yeah. After that playoff game, in that offseason where Scott ended up getting fired for drinking, uh, before he got fired, he almost had Cousins signed to a long-term deal. They were within a couple of million away, but it was just too much. It was more money than they felt like they were willing to pay, so they franchise tagged him. So then going into the next season – uh, the Redskins missed the playoffs by one game because they lost to the Giants in week 17. And I think it was a mix of Kirk Cousins not being very clutch and not closing out the season hot and him asking for too much money. That's when they decided to let um, 
Cousins walk. And instead of telling Kirk that he was gonna he was gonna be going to free agency and they were done dealing with him, they just traded a corner Kendall Fuller and some picks to the Chiefs for Alex Smith. <laughs> Shortly after he was signed, within a week of when he was signed, he was extended through four years. And that's basically how they told Kirk Cousins he was not going to get any more offers from Washington. They just moved on without him. That is, I see that one is like one of the one of the few like Redskins things where I've actually kind of sided a little bit with the Redskins. I mean, I know that's not a great way to not tell him, but like the deal he got with the Vikings is just if that's what he was asking for in Washington, which I'm assuming as it was. I don't think it's worth it. I'm fine with it now. At the time, I was furious. And I still but, think if Kirk had stayed in Washington, he would have had a better season than he had this year. Like, well, that, he just, he was very good in Jay Gruden's offense. Or at least I he, thought he had some really bright moments in that offense. Just think about it. If 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 he would have stayed, he would have been the one that got um, Theismann. Oh, that would have been sad. It was still sad. I'm still sad about he'd, that. He'd have to switch his van out for a handicap van. Ooh, rude. Hey, by the way, did you see where they've announced uh, that Alex Smith would not be returning for 2019? It's not surprising because I saw a picture of him at a, <laughs> the most, at a like, hockey game. No shit Sherlock yeah. type of way. Like, I, yeah, we were really I saw, holding, holding on, waiting for him to come back. I saw a picture of him at um, a Capitals game. Yep. Maybe this was a couple weeks ago, and he still had, like, the, the like, not even, like, He had like, that wild cast. contraption on his leg. Yeah. It basically was, like, like you know when they, like, do, like, brain surgery or something when they got screws in your head? It was, like, they had screws in his legs and, like, this whole, like, big metal outer contraption. It's it, like, he ain't playing. It looked like something you'd find in, like, a steampunk hospital if it had been made yeah. out of brass. It was ridiculous. It, if you don't have a real cast on your leg, you're probably not going to play. <clears throat> so, uh, actually, to tell you more about that, from what I hear, that, that means that, like you said, he has a bunch of pins in his leg and also that they fused metal to the bone and stuff. So he's probably going to have to have an, at least another surgery or so to really correct everything. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the guy because I've always... Everybody likes admit, Alex Smith. Like, yeah, he's a good guy. I mean, I kind of crapped on him when he was with San Francisco. Um but you know, I thought I I he, thought he, he was he actually won good me back for Washington. Cases. I thought he was. I mean, he wasn't playing great, but he was kind of like the first consistent leader quarterback we'd had in a long time. Like, I don't think Kirk Cousins is a leader really, to where Alex Smith actually gets people to like follow what he's saying. So, oh, I think you put Alex Smith on the team they had when Cousins was there, and he would have done a lot better. Yeah, when they had Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon, and actually had wide receivers, he probably would have been awesome. But, I mean, literally their their whole offense this year was just give the ball to Adrian Peterson and hope he can get yards, and let's put all of our eggs into the -the over-the-hill running back guy. Hey, he was good. I mean, yeah, he was good. I mean, I'm glad he 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 went and he got another deal and he did better. I um I was excited when the Saints originally signed him, but after the first couple of weeks, I knew he wasn't gonna stay because it's just it wasn't working, and it worked out better for both teams really. So one thing positive I will say is that ever since they signed Bruce Allen, they haven't made a bunch of the terrible free agency decisions that they made when Vinny was there. And uh, just to kind of sum that up, this is kind of like a 
This is kind of like a cleanup moment here. I'm going to tell you about a couple of things just to clean up some storylines. So because we didn't really get into details of the free agents that they brought in, here's a list of some of the players that were brought in early on uh, with really with, expensive contracts. With Bruce or with, with Vinny? Vinny? With Vinny. So they brought in early on, they brought in Bruce Smith when he was 34 years old from the Bills, the right end. They brought him in for a multi-million dollar, multi-year contract at age 34. Uh, after the Steelers won the Super Bowl, they signed Antoine Randall-L to be their number one wide receiver. Um, he was old when they won that one. No, he wasn't old, but he just wasn't that good. He was, Yeah, he was the number two guy on that team. Yeah, he? borderline number three even. Yeah. I, I mean, I, they had I, Heinz Ward and then... Uh, they might have even had Santonio Holmes still, but I mean they had good wide receivers, and then you pick Antoine Randall as the one to take out of that group. Ugh. I did like that Steelers team though. They gave Joey Galloway a bucket of money to come play for him, even after he had missed most of the games that he played in in the previous like three seasons. So nothing like paying an injury injury riddled Joey Galloway. And they also gave $45 million to Mark Brunel for seven years. Wow. So those are some of the worst ones that they did. And just to finish this episode up, I know we ran a little long, but I, I want to give you two stories that take the Redskins from, like, sad, crappy team to laughing stock of the league. Um, I You know, I don't want to be the guy that burst your bubble, but, you know, I, I think we're pretty much there. Well... Here's some stories just to cement it. Actually, this might be three because there's one I want to add in at the end. So in 2018, a story came out about some former Redskins cheerleaders. Apparently, during the 2013 season, uh, there was some mistreatment that went on. The girls were flown out to Costa Rica to, for the, uh, swim, the calendar swim shoot photo shoot. That sounded weird. They were flown out. They flew out to Costa Rica to shoot the uh, swimsuit calendar. That's better. So when the girls arrived at Costa Rica, their passports were collected by staff of the team. They were asked to take topless or body paint photos for the calendar, um, which in itself isn't a huge deal. I mean, it might be a little tacky, but it it wasn't anything like weird at the time. Except for the fact that they had uh, sponsors and spectators come out to watch the photo shoot. Yeah, I um, that went creepy. Yeah, so you basically had a bunch of men out there watching these women take topless photos. I mean, I'm sure they had their nipples painted over or, like, covered. So the spectators were all men. There were no women spectators at this event. That seems <clears throat> like... You know, any time that something involving women with little clothes, there's usually lots of men that probably are all overweight and hairy-knuckled. So, and- like I said, this was a mix of sponsors and the other group of people that got invited to it or could buy tickets to go to this were people that held suites at the field for games. So, season ticket holders in the suites got to go to oh. this event. Well, they could get sugar daddies that way, you know, well, really helping them out. Well, after the shoot, nine of the 36 girls were told that they had more work to do. They had been chosen as, as escorts for the night out with some of the men. Uh, they weren't forced into any sexual acts. Uh, 
but the whole thing was kind of like implied. So they told him basically like, hey, you don't have to have sex with these men. But if it's something you want to do. <laughs> so the whole thing was pretty, pretty scumbaggy. And it's led to investigations around the league and how cheerleaders are treated by the teams. And it's also a big black mark on uh, on the Redskins on a whole. Yeah, I, um, I feel uncomfortable. <clears throat> that's, that's not cool. Especially because those chicks don't make any money and uh, they're about to go hang out with some rich dudes that have lots of money and... No telling how they want to spend it, and that puts them in a bad spot. Also, you shouldn't be doing any of that. Yeah, no, it's terrible. All of that whole story was wrong. The only thing that was right was let's go to Costa Rica to take a swimsuit calendar, which you can argue a lot about that, but every team does it, so it's not Yeah, but they don't have a crowd watching. No, that's... That's weird. Why didn't they do it in Washington? They kind of went down to the, you know, the lovely... uh, the, the mall down there and taking, you know, gave a Lincoln a lap dance or something. Oh, man, that would have been funny. Uh, <laughs> this actually is just coming straight from memory. But then in, in 2015, there was a story or it was a picture that came out. And it was a guy sitting in FedEx field holding a beer out in front of his camera, which doesn't seem like that weird of a thing. But when you look at the beer can, it actually has a 2014 World Cup stuff all over it. And this is like a year and a half after the World Cup even took place. So basically, they were selling expired old beer at the concession stands in FedEx Field. Beer doesn't go bad. You know, well, I, d- I don't think true, you want a year but... and a half old beer either at an event like that. I mean, from a from a certain standpoint, I don't think you're legally allowed to. Um, let's but, just you know, if it was kept in a cool environment, you know, out of the sunlight, it's probably not. Let's bad. put it this way: you and I are so like we we would want a beer so bad that we wouldn't really care that much. But a lot of people were not happy about that just because it well, it was a terrible. It, like it just looks bad. You can't even restock your concession stands with fresh product. You just go get like year-and-a-half to two-year-old beer to put out there? Yeah, I mean, if I was paying 10 bucks for a beer, I wouldn't be happy about it. I might still pay it, depending on, you know, what point in the day I was at. But, uh, I, uh, yeah, that's that's not good. It probably doesn't taste great either, because, no. I mean, it would probably be flat or skunk or... I mean, it's already bad beer. I mean, it was Bud Light, so... It's Bud Light, so, you know... Uh, and then lastly, we got to talk about um, the elephant in the room here. Dan has fought tooth and nail to keep the name the Washington Redskins, even in the face of constant backlash. Oh, my God, you're talking about it. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't think you'd ever talk about it. This is my one chance to finally, you know, like you, you, you're forced to listen to me. In 2013, USA Today published an article where Snyder was asked if he would change the name. At the time, he said, we'll never change the name. It's that simple. Never. You can use all caps for that. Uh, All this became big news when some Native American petitioners began working to strip the Redskins' name of their trademark under the idea that it was disparaging. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office canceled the trademark in 2014, and the ruling was upheld in 2015. In 2017, 
the Supreme Court reversed that ruling because the disparagement clause of the Lanham Act, uh, which the the petitioners used to get the trademark taken away, was ruled unconstitutional under the First Amendment. Snyder sent out an email that same day stating that he was thrilled, in all caps. (laughs) And obviously that's still a very hot button issue today. So, can I put in my two cents on it? Sure, take it away. Personally, I, uh, as someone that is one-sixteenth Native American, don't know which part, I don't have an issue with it. I actually, from what I've heard, a lot of, you know, Native Americans don't necessarily have issues with it, just, you know, certain groups. But, you know, at this point, I just feel like if you're getting this much bad publicity from something, you, what if you, like, you could turn it into good publicity by you know, opening up a naming contest or, I mean, the Washington Redskins, they're in D.C., this is the capital. They could pick so many names that are a lot more patriotic and fit the city they're in. You know, a lot of the NFL teams pick teams that that makes like New England, they're the Patriots. Yeah, that fits for the area, right? The, um, what's it called? The 49ers in San Francisco, that fits, you know, um, New Orleans, the Saints, that fits because, you know, that city's just super holy. I'm, I'm doing air quotes. But you know what I'm saying? They fit the regions in some way. A lot of the teams do. Some don't. The ones that moved around and stuff, like the Titans. and I mean, Texans fit. It's kind of a stupid well, think, name, but it fits. The Cowboys fit. I think one of his – there's several reasons why he doesn't want to change the name, but one of them is that was the name they had when he was growing up. It's a name that came from the 1930s. Like, it's one of the – uh, most uh, instantly recognizable brands in the NFL, like just I mean, yeah, it is. it is. I mean, I like the logo. I like the. I mean, our school was. We were the what the the Warriors. Like we had a like a very. I mean, we were more on the Florida State color scheme, but you know there was a. It was not that far off. There was some stuff that came out that kind of had similar logos, you know, for our high school, but you know. I, I don't know. I just feel like if it becomes so much of an issue where it detracts and you also when you lose the copyright, it might not hurt to at least get some good PR out of it, even though, you know, it is a good recognizable. Like if someone ever came out and said the Cowboys was disparaging, they'd never change that. But My thing with it, and I've thought about this a lot, and I, I'm not going to go into what I think of right and wrong here, but I will say that I think... Dan Snyder is the reason why the change the name thing started. If the team had been good since he took over, if the team had been doing good, been winning and stuff like that, I think, I don't think it would be as big of a deal, but instead of being a good team that um, people are excited to watch, you're a team that's selling two year old beer at your stadium and asking your cheerleaders to, you know, go out with a bunch of old men and party. And so like nothing, all these negative stories, the Scott McLaughlin drinking thing, the way that the coaches have been brought in, brought out, brought in, brought out the Albert Hainsworth thing, like all of these little moments where people just sit there and laugh at the Redskins are the reason why this name change thing has so much steam because no one actually cares about the franchise anymore outside of the fan base. It's true. It's it is like you said. Like it's a laughing stock to the outside world because of how poorly run it is. I mean, it like you said, it's a very recognizable. 
the NFC East is probably one of the most recognizable I'd you know, say divisions it in, the in AFC football. North. Yeah, there. I mean, and, and NFC East hasn't even been that good recently. But I mean, you have some of the most marketable teams. You have, you have the Cowboys, who you know they're still America's team despite you know being mediocre <laughs> for years. You have the uh, the Giants. I mean, that's a classic been franchise. The, the Eagles. They're, the, they're still the best team in New York. Yeah, <laughs> or New Jersey. Air quotes. The Eagles but, just won the Super Bowl yeah. last year. Like. That it's it, it's one of those historic divisions because it's been the same for so long. You know, you can't say that about a lot of the other ones because some of the, like NFC West has kind of moved around some, and you know some of the other ones. But you know what I mean, but, right? I think if they were just like good, and let's say instead of making three or four playoff appearances, they had made like six or seven and actually had success in the playoffs and have been in winning games, people wouldn't make this big big deal out of it that they have been. If you think about 2012 a... when RG3 was a quarterback, that issue wasn't as big of a deal then. It wasn't until they started struggling again that you started hearing the name change well, stuff. I think part of it's the whole world's gotten a lot more PC to where people like go a little overboard on thinking things are inappropriate, which I'm not going to argue and say Redskins isn't necessarily – the the most appropriate name but everybody was yeah i'm nobody talked about it until recently and i think that's more of like society but that's um, yeah that's why i'm not really jumping into is this right or wrong because i think everybody's entitled to their opinion on it obviously but i just i mean the indians finally got rid of chief wahoo that's and true. That, that one's actually pretty racist. Yeah, that but, one. You know. That one is worse. <laughs> yeah, Chief Wahoo is way Chief worse. Chief Wahoo is the most racist symbol <laughs> in any sports teams ever had. Um. Yeah. No, I. I mean, you. Can I think feel about like there it, was but... some team. I'm trying to think. I think I saw a logo that was maybe something that was like. Uh, that super racist like Looney Tunes blackface thing, but I might be making. Well, hell, up. there was probably some team back in the like 1920s called the Cincinnati Chinamen or something. But I mean, of current yeah. teams, that's the worst one. I mean, shoot, um, LSU had the Chinese bandits. There was a picture I saw oh, on, like no. one of the, the buildings there, and they all had like the super racist like with the big T oh, like no. mask. The, all the linemen were lined. I mean, we still like you know whenever that's uh, like whenever we. Uh, uh, do a you know make a team punt we do the they play like oriental music and everybody bows down well it's kind of oriental not really but i mean that's the chinese bandits but yeah no none of that's pc i mean they don't it's they don't say it like yeah. that anymore but no that's oh. i mean all that stuff is i mean different time people were, different time people, yeah people were really racist <laughs> Uh, so just to kind of summarize everything up, like you said, with the way the world's changed, the political culture, like the cultural awareness that affected it. Um, and not just that, when you're talking about the team on a whole, uh, this last season was kind of a, was a dark season for, for the Redskins because they're losing fans. The attendance at home games has been atrocious the last couple of years and like I said, it's just everybody's laughing at him. So Dan Snyder took over his childhood team, his favorite team, and ran it into the ground. And I'm not sure where it goes from here. Into the ground more. <laughs> I don't know if it can, but he'll try. And the sad part is it's not like the Browns where they're winning one or two games every year. They win enough games to stay in the middle of the draft, but still can't ever get the talent 
to get that one more win they need to get to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, there's some teams that have been stayed like kind of mediocre and not been like super terrible for years that have still been able to build their team to the draft, even if it was one really amazing draft. But still, there, it's not impossible. You just got to have good scouts and not have, you know, your head coach going and like making money handshakes on sidelines. Well, we'll see what happens when Kyler Murray's the starting quarterback next year. Oh, toddler. Ugh. Hey, listeners, just picture in your mind, when you think of Kyler Murray, he looks like a like a like he's got a toddler head on a man's body. Now that I've said that, you will never unsee it. It's true. You won't. Well, anyway, that's going to sum up uh, Dan Snyder and the last uh, 20 or so years of the Washington Redskins. Any thoughts before we go? Yeah, I feel better about um, the Saints now. As you should, because at least there's some promise there. I mean, they've only been good, you know, the last since 2006, really. It only took, you know, the city getting destroyed and all that jazz. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get off of here now and go lay in bed and stare at the ceiling and maybe cry a little bit after going through all that, reliving all of that. But uh, I'll talk to you all later. Bye.